Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And just as a heads up, we'll be taking next week off and we'll return the week of November 27th with a new episode. Here with us today is Andras Chair, VP and Principal Analyst, discuss the increased value and role of identity in today's market. Welcome, Andras. Thank you. So, Andras, there's an ironic relationship with identity, which is at the same time, given all of the breaches and all the threats to enterprises from cybersecurity, that there's the desire to protect the identity. At the same time, given the desire for individualization, is the want to exploit identity. Brings up to sort of this ironic or challenging thing. Where are we in that dynamic? Traditionally, the equation or the question has been, you know, how do we use identity and access management to basically keep the bad guys out, right? So, so obviously, uh, going back, this has all been identity and access management has been about uh, answering the question as to who has access to what and why and, and, and when and under what conditions, from what channel, and who approved that access, right? So that's the traditional, very kind of back office kind of view of the world, right? Identity access management is part of security. It's an old school thing. We, we just treat it as a tax, right? Yep. It's nothing mm-hmm. more than that. And basically, we just kind of invest in that to protect our resources. And this is very important, right? It's you know, looking at all the breaches, data breaches, and uh, for external facing websites, all the account takeovers, fraudulent activities, this is still an important aspect. But what we're seeing is, is basically a an, an, an notion of, of the fact that we need to move beyond this, right? So this is the exploitation of the identity that we can actually build uh, better customer relationships if we understand who this customer is, um, understand more about their preferences, understand more about their, their context in which they interact with us, understand more about the channels they use to approach our organization. If we offer multiple front ends, let's say we're a magazine publisher, right? We, we might have multiple magazine front ends if we have some cross-pollination between what the customer does on magazine A versus magazine B. That's very complex. Sort of in the CX world, the goal is individualized experiences across channels and to whatever journey they have, which are dynamic and often unpredictable, and each transaction or each interface is creating another attribute of that identity, something else that's meaningful for the next experience to be had. Is that also playing out in which is how complex these identities are becoming? Absolutely. So this means a challenge for uh, on at least kind of two fronts, right? One is, is putting all this in context and interpreting in this for the identity-centric view of this user or entity. Uh, as to where they go on the website, understanding their navigational patterns, clickstream analysis. It's obviously producing business intelligence, one. And two, it's, it's giving you also uh, more security ammunition to understand, that, hey, if, if this uh, seemingly human being is, is clicking on, on buttons every 10 milliseconds, maybe it's a robot, right? It's not a human being. So you can use that type of information to actually protect the, the site and understand the context. So, so this is the BI uh, aspect of it. Additionally, you can also look at um, enriching the, the backend customer experience as well, right? So you can kind of look at providing better services, more customization to, to the user, right? And also pr- provide better fraud management. And in, in addition to all these aspects, which kind of pertain to our organization, 
this data, this, this navigational pattern data, how the identity actually uses the site or buys products or, or just kind of accesses resources can also be used to be the basis of identity verification kind of decisions. So this is the blockchain aspect that we hear about so much today in, in these conversations. So you can use transactional patterns across multiple sites and use that to verify uh, identity. So in that construct, you have identities that are growing in their complexity and growing in their richness transaction. You have that for fraud, meaning if you have a certain credit card behavior and that behavior changes, the credit card company can actually intervene. You have it on use, or if there's your example of the 10 milliseconds per download or whatever it might be, then you have it on based upon, they're trying to accomplish something and I can see it and I can actually deliver a service or a capability right. to them. So this sense and respond on the identity is getting extremely, well, first of all, it's getting real time, but extremely complex because I'm either going to give something else to you or I'm going to start taking something away from you. Definitely, definitely. So uh, one of the concepts that we see actually a fairly, not new, but newly developed or newly implemented by vendors type of, of access control is this continuous authentication, right? Which means that based on your identity, uh, you would have a certain number of points. Right, so those number of points will uh, enable you to do certain tra kinds of transactions. So if you have 40 points, you can make a say uh, <clears throat> add-on a new uh, pay to your online banking uh, application. If you have 70 points, right, you may be able to uh, change a pay, and if you have 120 points, you may be able to do a wire to do a wire transfer. This is almost like a credit score. It's kind almost of thing. like mm -hmm. a credit score. You can yeah. think of a, think of it as a a Dave and Buster's kind of analogy, right? You, you play, play <laughs> the game. It's a little gamification. <laughs> gamification, yeah. exactly. So, so basically, you know, as you, you know, shoot those baskets, you're getting those little, you know, uh, paper tickets. And at the end, you can buy the Wii for 60,000, you know, kind of uh, number of paper tickets and so on. So very similar to that. And, and if, um, so the way you increase your number of points that allows you to do more risky transactions is you actually A, either behave well, right? Don't do anything bad and or uh, perform additional authentication. So you kind of may do fingerprint, voice print, facial uh, authentication, facial recognition based biometric authentication. And, and that's something that increases your score so you can get to the more higher value, uh, point value kind of resources or activities. You can also lose points, right? So if you do, th if you are basically behaving in a way that's suspicious, so you're clicking every button in 10 milliseconds, your point value will go down, right? So you won't have the, the, the right number of points or a sufficient number of points to access those resources. Do they downscore you for user <laughs> error that happens at a, you know. Potentially, I, that, that is absolutely a that's great That's bad point. news for me. That is bad news. And this can happen, right? So, so uh, there's definitely a very fine line. And this, we, we have this conversation all the time in, 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 in inquiries between, you know, to what degree Big Brother can be watching you from both the user experience perspective, right? So just because you hesitate on, on, on a menu item, right, and, and you don't kind of, you're not absolutely sure about how to use that button, you may not be a fraudster, yep. right? So that's, uh, that's one thing, plus the privacy aspect, right? So, you know, as you're tracking all these behaviors, that where do you draw the line between, you know, what's private information and what's not? So, so for example, IP, IP address geolocation in the United States is not necessarily considered uh, personally identifiable information. In Canada, it is, right? Or in Europe, it, it, it can be considered. So one of the things, just what you were talking about, kind of came to me is clearly trust is foundational as 
more things become digital. And I've always thought about that as more from a consumer perspective, consumers trusting enterprises. But what you described is also the the inverse, sort of enterprises trusting that that's consumer is who they've identified themselves as. So it's a two-way street. Absolutely. And I think it has to be a two-way street uh, because, you know, if uh, if the enterprise doesn't a bank doesn't trust its customers identity to be able to move money right then then you have a problem right so you got to be able to properly authenticate your, yourself to, to your bank or insurance company or or library or government site or really any resource you service you're using that basically allows that organization to trust you and provide services to you so i get confused cuz i'm in the loyalty programs to several brands and in some of them, I might get an email from them that actually don't don't remember that I'm in the loyalty program, and they come off as sort of a dear occupant email. In the same breath, you're describing identity management from the security standpoint that's very sophisticated and very granular. It's checking each transaction, each thing I do against a profile I might carry, whether that, going back to your point, Jen, whether that's a trustful transaction or not. How do I square those two realities? Sure. So uh, I think these types of problems that you describe here, uh, you know, when you get like a dear occupant notification to do stuff that you've already been doing, right, on a website, basically, this usually comes from a disconnect between the identity and access management system or security or behavioral tracking system that you have for that site or or customer-facing property and the back-end customer relationship management, master data management platform that the site might use or the portal, right? So sometimes that that connection or integration or bidirectional data flow is not there, and that can cause, you know, problems like this. So yeah. it is a very, actually, it's, it's a great point you're making. We, we are actually seeing a lot of vendors today in, in customer-facing identity management making that connection. So... Uh, understanding not only security attributes, right, about a user, so your password, your notification email address, your notification uh, phone number, et cetera, but how you tie this information to the back end, like what, what are the products you purchased, your, your uh, shipping history, your shipping addresses, and, and various other kind of marketing uh, right. positioning type of, type of, uh, type of question. Because I think that's been a big challenge associated with individualization, which is how do I master identity at such a granular level and then act on that in a, in a dynamic manner? It seems like security is sort of already on that path and managing it at that same level of granularity. Right. So there's, there's definitely parallel worlds that in play here, right? Yep. So much of the fraud management systems or even the identity management systems or, or the uh, targeted marketing systems are performing these types of activities in parallel. I think one of the challenges is how you actually are able to corral these, these multiple paths into one uh, one path or more of a unified path that presents a better experience to the customer. I remember the fraud management systems, at least that I was involved in, had extraordinarily detailed profiles about Andras or Jen or myself saying the typical actions this person would take would be this. They're now deviant to those that profile and then intervene in the flow of something. So that means that as part of the fraud management systems was the concepts of journeys, just not stated that way, but implied in yes. that, which is I do this and then I do this and I do and I do it this this often. I go from point A to point B. There, there's a journey construct in that that's embedded in fraud management. It seems definitely, definitely. So, so uh, fraud systems, fraud management systems have traditionally been uh, 
at least two-dimensionally contextual, right? One context is is your own history, right? Um, this guy is traveling within this geography, is usually not going anywhere else, right? That's one context. And then the peer group context. If he belongs to a, a peer group, right, of similarly behaving other customers, users, right, then, you know, how are you able to identify deviations from that communal, right, or common behavioral profile that, that's shared across all the, all the members of that peer group. And that is something that I, I believe we are seeing more and more in identity management, as well as in, in the customization of the, the business experience, right, on sites for customers. So it started from the fraud management aspect, and it's been ex- expanded into the identity and, and more to the marketing world. I'm going to return back to how we started with the with the irony that this focus on identity is both on protecting it while exploiting it. The concept was that security and risk was destructive to customer experience. It was putting in steps that customers had to take that were additional and annoying. Well, this equation is different. This sort of says the capabilities that security and risk have put in place are going to free up customer experiences. They're going to enable the very things that are wanted in the first place and become much more of a, of a growth engine from beneath, if you will. Yes, absolutely. So um, the in the past, like keeping the bad guys out and just kind of doing things to your customer led to a lot of kind of heated uh, disagreements. Let's just put it that way. Not, <laughs> not necessarily fights all the time between the marketing. Hard stairs. Hard, yeah, hard <laughs> stairs. So that's, that's the, or tug of war kind of activities, right? Be- between the marketing line of business and security or compliance professionals, right? It still is happening. Still, uh, security and and really ease of use are not always compatible with each other. But it, it's there's a balance, right? It's a, it's a balance, yeah. right? But I think it's always interesting to think of this balance as taking the scale from the first floor to the second floor and to the third floor, right? So it's not like it's not a zero sum game, right? Uh, so two things. One is that identity access management for customers can provide a better customization experience, tailoring experience, marketing experience to, to the customer, which will make the journey more enjoyable, right? So that, that's one area. On the other hand, interestingly, we see customers being a much more sensitive to their, to their security on websites. So security is becoming more and more of a differentiator. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it used to be the concept of frictionless was best. The, and now the concept is trust as a currency. So I actually want to go through a couple of gates because that means other people are going through those same gates. I mean, that's sort of interesting change. Or in the that the company has thought about that as part of the experience and knowing that trust is a big portion of why people would do business with you. So we've talked about identity as sort of fixed within the enterprise. And then two things are happening that makes it more complex. The first was you're seeing a proliferation of Internet of Things type devices, different ways to which identities are formed or identities are enriched by the transactions that that device is, is delivering. And the second one is the emergence of platforms, either both industrial or B2C, that creates the need to manage those identities across the enterprises, across the partner ecosystems. How are people handling those two pieces of complexity? Let me start with the second question. So, so basically, this is the identity federation story, right? Um, Obviously, enterprises, as they work with each other in the B2B platform, a B2B kind of relationship, business to business, or 
equally when you want to work with your customers, right? You don't want to necessarily force your customers to create new uh, usernames and passwords with you and manage the, all the burden of, of that, you know, password resets, enforcing password policy. So the idea, you know, was and, and still is, can we somehow uh, distinguish and separate between somebody logging in or authenticating, right? And and the place where where they're going to be logging into or 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 they're going to be using, right? For example, right? Uh, if you are say an e-commerce site, you, you can think of, hey, I don't want to create a username and password and manage it and be kind of super scared when it's going to get uh, decrypted or stolen or hacked. But maybe I should rely on just for simple authentication on social login. And as they're, they're you establish their relationship with them. You then slowly build out uh, more attributes. You ask for more information from them. You ask for things like shipping Almost address. like progressive profiling kind of thing. Precisely. Yep. Yes. Same thing works in B2B, B2B, so business to business, right? Let's say you're an insurance company, right? And you have independent agencies, right? Or you're a bank and you have independent advisors and offices working for you. Or a hospital and you've got independent doctor's offices working for you. You can have basically, you can say that I'm going to trust this doctor's office identity system as a, as a hospital. Uh, the doctor will log in at their own office into their own identity system, and I will trust that login. So basically, I'm able to build on, on the doctor's native home office credentials, and I don't need to manage you know, a, a username and password for the doctor on my own at the hospital. And that's got to be that last example has got to be the one where scares the consumer the most because with, with electronic health records, and whether that's a disclosure issue to the public for someone like someone who's a celebrity or it's in a hit on insurance because something happening medically, that's a big deal that their trust levels underpin those systems. Definitely. So all this needs to happen in a, in a context where you're looking at protecting your price, personally identifiable information. In a lot of ways, right, you, you can use federation to actually better protect, uh, you know, the, the PII, personally identifiable information of, of, your, of your customer. Because you have a richer understanding of who they are. Exactly. And, and also, you're not, may, may, maybe you're not even managing usernames and passwords. So if a user's own identity provider gets broken, you can basically say, hey, this is not my responsibility. I'm taking care of personal identifiable information. That's all it is. So there's no, you know, for hackers, there's no one sing single one entry point that they need to hack and they have access to everything, right? So it's more of a, um, they kind of have to do more. There's a thing that struck me what you said if I sign into Facebook, because there's been a discussion of who owns the identity and who, more to the point, owns the monetary value of that identity. And where you have the emergence of platforms like Facebook and Amazon and others that front the brands, the concern brands would have is that they will lose touch with the identity, not just the human being, but all the transactional behavioral data that enriches the concept of the identity. And over time, if the platform is fronting it, either explicitly or implicitly, the brands start losing sight of it. They, they can't deliver the personalized experiences. They can't predict purchase decisions. They don't know how to engage. How much is that playing out in terms of sort of identity wars? We're, we're definitely seeing uh, this fight for identities, right? So all the social media sites, large e-commerce players, they're all creating their own login experiences or payment experiences. On the transactional details, right, the good news is that if – even if you have a social identity-based login, right, 
from, say, Facebook, right, or Amazon, and you're just a smaller e-commerce provider, you can still track the user's activity, right? It's, it's not that the user's activity is hidden from. You can still use, track the user's activity. You may be able to manage some of, some of the user's preferences and profile attributes that pertain to your own e-commerce portal, right? You may not be able to see everything, but you may be able to, able to see some of it. But definitely, um, you know, we are starting to see these, these centers of gravity, you know, identity, identity gravity uh, centers forming uh, around the large uh, e-commerce providers, platform providers, Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, et cetera. Um, and on the other hand, right, it's an, so it's, from the customer's perspective, it's much easier, right, to remember sure. fewer passwords. But then, on the other hand, right, it's, uh, it's always a balance to what degree the smaller e-commerce provider is actually willing to trust Facebook, willing to trust Google+. Because we've or had, even see the farm-term consequences of having them sort of govern the identity at my disadvantage. Exactly. exactly. And, and a lot of times, you know, people say at, at a smaller e-commerce provider, hey, you know, I have no control at this smaller company over how Facebook or another social identity manages passwords, right? You know, so if I look at you know, all these breaches, right, maybe I just want to hang on to bad managing those passwords on my own, right? To me, it's a scary scenario for a brand, which is if a consumer uses Alexa with Amazon and pays through PayPal, and I decide to sell through Amazon, I go blind because the conversation is happening between Alexa and the human being. Preferences are, are given and taken through that conversation. Amazon manages that from an AI perspective and manages that transaction. PayPal sees a transaction and I'm simply seeing a purchase. Correct. I don't know why the purchase was made or what other behaviors happened before that I can help me understand how to engage again. I mean, you can see this blindness forming. Yes, uh, or I would call it a, a market for flashlights in this, in this kind of blind, you know, dark area, right? So you know, how, how can you monetize right, uh, these types of customer journey fragments or artifacts Across, you know, so maybe uh, Amazon will sell right these types of, of insights, the flashlight into what that customer journey was to you, right? The smaller e-commerce provider that gives gives you a little bit more uh, more context. That's entirely possible. Andres, earlier I gave you sort of the two items in a very complex way: the Internet of Things as well as the platforms. We just went through the platforms. So we're seeing these Internet of Thing devices create different experiences for customers. And in it, they have to manage identity. They might have to create identity. And they're certainly managing the transactions that are facilitated there. What is that happening to identity management at the enterprise level, seeing this proliferation of Internet of Things types? I mean, a number of things. So there's always the governance of, of Internet of Things devices, right? So how do you add a new... Uh, a new Alexa or a new tap or whatever Google device or whatever you might have to your home ecosystem, right? What are the steps that are required to actually onboard that device in, in your home uh, IoT, Internet of Things, connect smart connected devices ecosystem? Then, you know, how do you actually manage authentication to the device, right? So maybe you don't want everybody to be able to order that item through Alexa, right? Maybe only you want somebody in the family 
to be able to say, Alexa, I want to order a new Porsche or, or BMW kind of thing. Maybe, maybe you want to limit that somehow. So, so that all already opens up questions about authentication. And I think in this aspect, we're going to see a huge explosion of, of techniques like biometrics. So mm. fingerprint, not necessarily, but facial recognition and even voice biometrics, right? How, you know, you talk to Alexa, it's already recognizing what you're saying. So you could say, hey, I, I see this as, uh, this is, uh, you know, my son, you know, Adam talking to, uh, trying to order that BMW. You have to talk to your dad. You might want to intervene on that. <laughs> intervene or, or you have to ask your dad to come to this Alexa and then and, and submit that order from there. Right. So, so that, that's that. And then obviously the authorization aspects. So as, as these IoT devices enter uh, the, the automated home, right, you have to be able to set up and manage in a smart manner the authorizations, like the who can do what, right? So if you have a home, uh, a, a home automation system for your locks, right, you might want to only allow your cleaners to go to certain rooms but not others in your home, right? Or you, if you have a uh, repairman coming out from, say, the uh, phone company, you don't want to allow that person to get into, you know, to your, your family room. They, you want to constrain them to your garage, right? So, so managing these finer-grained authorization aspects in IoT uh, land is a, are absolutely important. And I assume the, the same holds true in, in the B2B context, right? So what data you're providing other partners or who has access to what machinery or, right, you know, right. what talks I mean, to In a B2B space, right, in, in B2E, B2B uh, IoT story, right, I think the, one of the key con- concepts is how you're actually protecting the data, right, in a sensitive and selective manner, right, that are collected by these devices. Let's say, you know, a device collects data from, you know, a number of different, you know, end users, consumers, or, or events, you know, how do you actually, as, as, a, as an operator of that device, make that data available to multiple business parties that you're, you're working with? That, that is definitely a, 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 a big question that we have. So one can argue identity is sort of a mechanic of the business. It's a mechanical item of the business. But if you respond to a breach, if you're an insurance company trying to exploit Internet of Things for use data, that actually creates a risk profile of that consumer, sort of, sort of on-demand insurance and that type of thing. This concept of identity is now how I grow the business or how I protect the business. This is now a larger item. Yeah, it definitely is. So, so there's obviously the CS, customer experience aspects, the fraud aspects, you know, minimizing account takeovers. Um, there's definitely the aspect of, of data protection, right? How do you protect data within an enterprise, in, within an identity context? So the zero trust framework that we just updated actually used to talk only about networks being zero trust. Now we added to the network aspect also the data as well as um, ba- uh, the identities, right? So you have to understand who created this data asset, who has access to this data asset, why, from what location, et cetera. So that is definitely a, a place where that uh, actually boosts the identity's value in the enterprise. So we've been on several podcasts that sort of say that data is the new currency. Identity is actually the hard currency of that. That's the thing that is really valuable, the identity as a human being and all those transactions. And it's valuable both in the protection of the enterprise and sort of unleashing the full value of the enterprise's experiences to the customers. It's both sides. So as a CIO, what, what does it mean to effectively manage identity? So you mentioned identity and access management is the hard currency. I would go back to my, my roots and background, you know, when hard currency used to mean convertible. 
cryptocurrency, right? So, so what it means is that you can actually use identity uh, information to improve your security, reduce your operational cycle time, so do things more effectively, the joiner, mover, lever, transfer processes, as well as customer-facing processes, customization of, of identities, uh, experiences, or customer uh, experience customization based on better identity. You can reduce the cost of compliance, right? And as a result, and this is what we're trying to, to push here, improve the overall service delivery of your corporation. So basically differentiate uh, in, your, in your product portfolio as being able to bundle more secure processes, technologies into your core products and services, A, and B, uh, be able to actually capitalize on, on, uh, on being able to sell your knowledge of better security to other organizations that may not be as good as you. So we, like I said, we talked to a lot of companies that have gotten so good at security that they're basically better than a managed security service provider. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Andres. Thanks for having me. It's prediction season. Download Forrester's 2018 predictions guide at for.com slash predictions. That's F-O-R-R.com slash predictions. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.